continue along our series through First and Second Kings, coming to get another glimpse into how glorious the kingdom of Christ really is. In the first two chapters of First Kings, we've seen that the Lord God has been keeping His kingdom safe and secure. He has secured the right succession to the throne in chapter one, and He's secured the establishment of peace of that throne and throne in chapter two. But King David is now dead, and Solomon recognizes that he can't rule well all on his own, but that he needs the help from the Lord if he's to reign well in Israel. And so, in humility, he asks the question that we would ask also this evening, who, O Lord, is able to govern this great people of yours? 1 Kings chapter 3, this is God's holy word. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings to the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and an uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And so God said to him, Because you have asked this, I have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has ever been before you, and none like you shall ever arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, O my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth. And we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. 
And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. But when I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. When I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child I had born. But the other woman said, No, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. But the first said, No, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. And thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, The one says, This is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. And the other says, No, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. And the king said, Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before him. And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman, whose son was alive, said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, O my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Bide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our Lord stands firm, sure, forever. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we live in a world of folly and foolishness is nothing new to us. In fact, if we examine our own hearts this evening and we're honest with ourselves, I trust that we recognize that much of the foolishness of the world resides in our own hearts this evening. But we do look at the world around us, don't we? And it's so clear to us that so many of the leaders of this world are fools. They don't care about the truth. They don't really care about doing justice, at least not really. How quickly politicians will drag one another's names through the mud in their lust for power and greater control. And while we, of course, sing the words, put no confidence in princes and mortal men who cannot save, we get awfully anxious, don't we, when elections don't because we too are inclined to place our trust, to place our confidence in man and in the solutions of man. If only we had more seats in the parliament, we think. If only this party was victorious over that party, we think. Then all would finally be well. Sadly, many, even in the Church of Christ, allow their own identities to become so swept up in the political stances that they take, they fail to remember their new identity in the Lord Jesus Christ who has rescued us from the foolishness of this evil age and that foolish way of thinking. And so the burden our passage before us this evening is rather easily discerned, isn't it? First Kings chapter 3 reminds us that what we really need is a wise king with a discerning heart. We need a wise king with a discerning heart to to rule over us in wisdom so that we might be delivered again and again from the folly and foolishness of the world in which we live. We need a wise king who loves God 
and whose love for God and love for the people of God compels him to walk before God in true righteousness and uprightness of heart. That's the kind of king that Adam and Eve needed in the garden. That's the kind of king that the people of Israel needed so long ago. And that's the kind of king that we stand in desperate need of today. No doubt the more we follow the events around the world, the more tempted we are to give in to despair. To say, what's this world coming to? We might talk about how things are going in the kingdom, and we give other pessimistic answers. Well, things aren't well in the kingdom. Look at all that's going on around us. But our passage this evening speaks a pointed message of hope to the people of God as a collective whole. 1 Kings 3 speaks a message of gospel good news to us as a chosen race, as a holy priesthood, a a holy nation in this world. Solomon, you see, recognized that the people of God, be they Old Testament Israel or New Testament church, that the people of God stand in constant need of an ever-present wise king with a discerning heart. And so it is the great privilege of mine to proclaim to you this evening that God has raised up such a king, and that the reign of that king, our king, is gloriously pictured here for us in this chapter as the Lord gives to King Solomon a wise and discerning heart. As we work with this passage, let's notice three things together this evening. First of all, wisdom from God requested. Secondly, wisdom from God rewarded. And finally, wisdom from God revealed. In verse 1, we read that Solomon made a marriage alliance with, the, with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house in the house of the Lord in the wall around Jerusalem. There's a great deal of debate over whether or not this, is, uh, this diplomatic alliance with Egypt was right or wrong. Some, as you can imagine, link this marriage to the daughter of Pharaoh as contributing to Solomon's future downfall. They suggest that this is a a brief preview, as it were, of of what's coming. A brief reminder that Solomon's not the king, the true king that Israel ultimately stands in need of. And while that's certainly one way to look at it, I tend to think more along the lines of S.G. de Graaf, who notes that a marriage with an Egyptian woman was not forbidden by the law of the Lord. Of course, they, the people of Israel were forbidden from marrying the Canaanites. They were to be that, that temptation to Israel all the time, but God had not forbidden marriage with a woman from Egypt, provided that such a wife did not bring her idolatry into Israel, and apparently this particular Egyptian woman made no attempt to do so. According to 1 Kings 11, it is Solomon's subsequent marriages to the Canaanite women that lead to subsequent downfall, but it doesn't seem that that seems to be the case here. Whichever interpretation one might take, the important thing is that we not get ahead of ourselves. The Spirit of Christ is going to take us to Solomon's eventual downfall, but we're not there yet. And we read in the following verse on the whole, casts quite a positive light on young King Solomon at this point in his reign. And so, Eshi de Graf goes on to write, it certainly is significant that the king of Egypt lets his daughter marry the king of the once despised and oppressed nation of slaves. Israel has clearly assumed a place of honor among the nations. 
And this acknowledgement says, Ashley de Graaf, ought to be read as a prophecy that one day all the nations would honor the great king to come forth out of Israel. In his name, the nations will worship God. And so even if there is perhaps a, a dark hint of what's going to come, in Solomon's marriage with verse 1, the clear declaration in verse 3 eclipses that. In verse 3, we find that Solomon loved the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. This is virtually the highest praise any person could ever receive. King Solomon loved the Lord. He loved the law of the Lord. And the author reminds us that God's people are still in need of the temple. There's no centralized place of worship, and so they're making offerings in the high places. What's clear to us in the opening scene of 1 Kings 3 is that King Solomon is, is seeking after the Lord. And so he went to Gibeah and offered a thousand burnt offerings there, and in so doing, he consecrates his entire reign to the Lord for the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ was surely in him. In response to this display of affection and being pleased with the numerous offerings Solomon has made, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, Ask what I shall give you. And now here comes the task, people of God. How will King Solomon respond? How might we respond? Would would our need for wisdom, would our need for a wise king be at the top of our lists? The Lord Jesus once challenged his disciples, saying that the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. What are our eyes fixed on this evening? Where have we set our gaze? Do we see our need for wisdom and for a wise king with a discerning heart? Here in 1 Kings chapter 3, the Spirit of Christ causes Solomon to fix his gaze on wisdom. To fix his gaze on wisdom because wisdom, according to the Scriptures, is far better than jewels. And whatever else you might desire cannot be compared to her. And so King Solomon responds to the Lord's question, ask what I shall give you. And he begins by rooting his request in the faithfulness of God. As he, as he responds to the Lord, he rehearses God's grace back to God, saying, you have shown great steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he who walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this day, this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. King Solomon rehearses God's faithfulness back to God. But King Solomon also humbles himself, does and He says, and now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come. I don't know how to, how to rule over this great kingdom of yours, this multitude of people. At the end of his prayer, he asks the question that God would press upon our own hearts this evening, for who is able 
Lord, who is able to, to govern this great people? It's in this context, people of God, that Solomon makes his request. He prays in verse 9, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind, or better put, a, an understanding heart or a hearing heart to govern your people so that I may discern between good and evil. In short, Solomon prays for wisdom. He prays for the ability to rightly discern between right and wrong, between good and evil, and to apply the truth of God to, to every aspect, to every affair in the kingdom. You see, boys and girls, in the Bible, wisdom is a specialized technical term. It, it doesn't just refer to the, the powers of intellect. God, that is, God's wisdom isn't just about being super smart. We have plenty of secular universities with smart, intelligent people who, who are fools. But rather, boys and girls, in the Bible, wisdom is a term that describes the art of living well. As one pastor defined it, wisdom is the skill to take the ideal of God's law and actually form it into a flesh and blood life in this world. And this is what Solomon needs. This is what the people of Israel need in their kings, that they might learn how to live likewise, how to, how to apply God's wisdom to life, how to apply the law of God to, to every aspect of life. This is what we need as well. God's people don't need a king with lots of gold or silver. They don't need a, a famous king who is held in, in high estimation by the world. But God's people then and God's people today need a wise king whose righteous wisdom to distinguish between good and evil is able to Reverse the folly of our first parents in the garden. And so as a type of the Christ to come, King Solomon teaches us to pray the words we sing. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter and I am the clay. Make me and mold me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. For God surely hears the prayers of the righteous, and Solomon must have known that blessed reality of James 1.5, where God's Word says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. In verse 10, we see that God has heard Solomon's request. And so we read that it pleased the Lord. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said, And because you have asked this, and not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning heart, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. And more than that, God is going to give to Solomon even the things he didn't ask for. He is going to give to Solomon great riches and honors that no other king in all the earth will compare to him. 
And if he will continue to walk faithfully in the way of the Lord, keeping his statutes, keeping his commandments, then God will, will lengthen his days. You see, people of God, the Lord answers Solomon's prayer because he sees, because he hears in King Solomon the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ working in Solomon is why we read in verse 3 that Solomon loved the Lord. The Spirit of Christ working in Solomon is what caused him to, to offer a thousand burnt offerings to God. The Spirit of Christ working in Solomon is what causes him to recall to mind all of God's faithfulness throughout the ages, his faithfulness to David, his faithfulness even to to Abraham, going all the way back to that promise that from Abraham would come a people too great to be numbered. And it's the Spirit of Christ working in the heart of King Solomon that caused him to pray for wisdom that he might rule over God's holy nation with justice and equity. Even as the Lord Jesus was heavily burdened by his love for the people of God and his high priestly prayer, even as that love compelled him to go to the cross, so too here we see Christ's love for Israel, who so long ago needed a wise king with a discerning heart. And because the Lord sees Solomon in light of the Spirit of Christ, the greater anointed one, the greater prophet, priest, king, the Lord is going to give to Solomon so much wisdom that no one else in the world will come close to comparing to him. For Solomon's aim, we see in verse 10, was to please the Lord in what he had asked for. Just as the Father has rewarded Christ for walking in wisdom, so too here on a smaller scale, the Lord rewards King Solomon for praying for wisdom. And in so doing, the Spirit of Christ summons us to behold the grace of our God. He gives to his people a wise king He gives to his people a wise king with a discerning heart. We mustn't take that for granted. Because it is not so for the peoples of the world. It's not so for those who who are outside the kingdom. For the hearts of their rulers aren't governed by the spirit of Christ, but by the spirit of the Antichrist. And there is no salvation in them, nor shall there ever be. Because they don't have wise and discerning hearts. Because they call foolishness wisdom and wisdom foolishness. And so when we consider the king that God has given to us, it ought to drive us to have compassion on the world, those whose trust is in the princes, those whose religion is the the welfare system of Canada. And see why they put so much hope in it. It is their religion, their confidence is in their princes. Princes who call foolishness wisdom and wisdom foolishness, who despise God and the Word of God. And even though we find ourselves living in a world like this one, we feel that tension. 
as the hostility of the world increases and increases against the church of Christ, and as foolishness seems to pervade our culture in increasing measure, the Apostle Paul assures us that in the end, wisdom conquers folly. The wisdom of God will surely conquer the foolishness of the world. He writes that in 1 Corinthians 2, and he says, yes, the the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, says God, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Chose what is weak in the world to shame those who think they're so strong. Chosen what is nothing in the world to bring to nothing the things that are. And because of him, says the Apostle Paul, you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God. Who became for us our wisdom Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And even though it might not always seem like it, when so many of our own rulers are, are under the sway of the spirit of this age, God's gift for, to Israel here in 1 Kings 3 is God's provision for the church today. That while the rulers of the nations plot in vain, Christ is indeed king. And God has given him both riches and honors that none like him has ever been before him and none like him shall ever arise after him. The nations of the world can't hinder him. The leaders in our own nation, no matter how foolish the decisions they might make, they can't hinder him either. Indeed, the church of Christ is protected by a wise king who said, not even the gates of hell can prevail against them because wisdom conquers folly. Because God has given to us a far greater Solomon with a wise and discerning heart. And so we read in verse 15, that Solomon awoke and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. The Lord's gracious answer to Solomon's prayer prompts him to, to rise and head for Jerusalem to make sacrifices and to hold a feast of praise and thanksgiving. To make a feast for all his servants. The wise king and his faithful servants feasting together in sweet communion for what the Lord had done. And such joyous feasting congregation is exactly what you get when a wise king is seated on the throne. Such feasting is ours every time we, we come together to sit under the, the preaching of the gospel, to, to feast on the word of the king every time we, we come to his table as we did this morning. That feasting is ours. The Lord gives Solomon a wise and discerning heart, prompting him to to exercise that wisdom before the people of God. And so the Lord would invite us this evening to 
to do as Israel did so long ago, to, to stand in awe of our wise king, to consider wisdom from God revealed from heaven, both in King Solomon and also in the greater king to come. In the latter portion of the chapter, the author of Kings gives us a, a snapshot of Solomon's wisdom on display, proving that God had indeed answered his request. And so as we come to the scene, I'm sure is quite familiar to many of us, as Solomon sits on the throne, two prostitute mothers come before him with a child, both of them claiming the child to be theirs. Apparently one of the mothers must have rolled over on her child as she slept in the night. But realizing that her baby had died, she gets up in the middle of the night and and changes her dead baby for the other mother's living baby, only for the other mother to wake up with a dead child at her breast. And so they bring their dispute before the king. And we can almost hear this exchange, what it must have been like as they argue before King Solomon. We all know what happens next, don't we, boys and girls? What does King Solomon say? To the utter shock and dismay of the true mother, King Solomon gives the order, cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. You see, boys and girls, King Solomon knows that the real mother will be so moved with compassion for her child that she'd rather have him go to the false mother than be cut in two. And so the narrator brings us into the court. We can almost hear the, the passionate cries, the tears running down her face. Then the woman, whose son was alive, said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child. By no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. And then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. That's a familiar story to many of us, but what is the meaning of this story? Not just to show us certainly how clever Solomon was, Rather, we find the meaning of the story in verse 28 where we read these words that when all of Israel heard of the judgment the king had rendered, they stood in awe of the king because they perceived the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. God gave Solomon a wise and discerning heart so that he might be the kind of king that Israel stood in desperate need of, a picture of the greater king to come. And so the people of Israel stand in awe of this king because they themselves can, can perceive the Spirit of Christ was, was in this king, was in the heart of Solomon to do justice. For we all know the answer to Solomon's question at the end of verse 9, don't we? Solomon asked, who is able to govern this great people of yours? And we know that there is only one. Only Jesus is able. Only Jesus is worthy. Are we standing in awe of him tonight? How gracious the Lord has been 
to Israel. How gracious the Lord has been to us. In the following chapters, we're going to see Solomon's wisdom showcased before the world. And, and in that way, the, the light of the Christ to come is going to shine brightly to the nations. Kings and queens are going to travel from afar to, to see this place where wisdom from God reigns. As the temple is going to be built and the palace is going to be built, kings and queens will, will come to ask Solomon hard questions. And in him, the light of the gospel is going to shine brightly. And it will all serve to point Israel forward to the greater king, who is indeed ruling here and now. Who just as King Solomon did so ago, just as King Solomon made a a just verdict, knowing the, the hearts of these two women then, a king who rules today, who is coming again to make a verdict more righteous, more just than has ever been made in any court in the history of the world. And so we need not ever lose heart. To be sure, as the Apostle Paul says, the rulers of this age do what they always do. They, in their hearts, and their words, and their actions, they crucify the Lord of glory. And they call Christ and the cross foolishness and, and despise the wisdom from God. But as we know, at the cross of Christ, wisdom from God is revealed in all its grace and mercy. An innocent man, a most wise king, condemned to die for sinners. And in virtue of his resurrection and ascension, he now reigns over the whole world. He is watching over us. He's watching over our nation and our children. He's watching over the, the future we're leaving to them. And he always will be. Do you see with what care the Lord concerned himself with Israel by giving them a wise king and king Solomon? You see how with much more care the Lord has concerned himself with us by giving us a far greater king in the Lord Jesus Christ. No king is humbler. No king is wiser or more understanding. There's no other king in all the world or in all of human history like our king, King Jesus. And he's ushered in an age of wisdom. He's ushered in his kingdom, a marvelous kingdom, a victorious kingdom where Christ has conquered Satan and all our spiritual enemies. And so we stand in awe of our king tonight. And we sing from the heart, let every creature rise and bring peculiar honors to our king because he is worthy. Because he's able, because he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And so we pray, even so, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have given to us a great and glorious King in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that you have revealed the power of wisdom at the cross of Christ. Father, give us the grace to hold fast to the wisdom of the King and to cling to that cross which the world calls foolishness. Father, we pray for the world and for the people who belong to it, who know not the comfort of our King who place their trust in princes and mortal men who cannot save, all whose plans will come to nothing when they perish in the grave. Father, we pray that through us the light of the gospel would shine as you manifest your kingdom in the church such that the nations will be drawn in to see the place and to see the people who are happy and blessed under the reign of a gracious, benevolent king. Father, we pray that he would come soon, that we would see the king tonight in all his glory coming on the clouds, that he would not tarry till tomorrow, but that already tonight we pray, Lord, that you would lift us up in the air to meet him where he is and to be brought up to the church triumphant and to that eternal kingdom where sin and sorrow and pain and death have passed away, where foolishness is a thing of the past, and where folly is no more. But if he should tarry, Lord, give us patience and give us faithfulness to live for this king always. We pray in his name and for his sake. Amen.